Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I am okay, Tim. How are you? I am doing just fine. We both had Xanax last night. We're gonna we're gonna come back to Earth together this morning. That's true. That's true. We're gonna talk about slapstick. We are going to pick it up from where we left off last week, getting into the band that changed everything. I see what you did there. That was very clever. Thing is, I didn't even try. But it's like, how? What other phrase can I use to say we're going to continue the story? I guess I could have said we're going to continue from where we left off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last week with Slapstick, your ska band. Yes, yes. The uh, the piece of your teenage years that have uh, followed you into adulthood in a, in an unenviable position as one could find themselves when they get to talk about when they were sixteen all yeah. the time. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, um, it could be a lot fucking worse. Man, um, I could have, you know, hit someone, uh, you know, with a baseball bat and turned him, <laughs> turned him into a vegetable, and then I have to talk about that for the rest of my life. You know, that's that would, true. Yeah, <laughs> that would be worse. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this this is pretty good. I mean, you know, <laughs> all things considered. <laughs> well, we thank you all for joining us again. And invite y'all to rate and review. Our reviews have been uh, coming in a little bit less frequently since we started the thing off. But uh, if you haven't given us a five-star review yet on Apple Podcasts, that's super helpful to keep us back at the top of the music charts as we were when we debuted at number two next to Dolly Parton. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich and wow it's uh 12 45 here and at 12 25 i posted our conversation yesterday that you and i had brendan with tom may of the menzingers isn't he a lovely child i mean just a just a really nice boy you could tell mm-hmm. his parents did all the right things um he's a he's a nah tom's a great dude and um it was a really really fun Fun conversation. Great, great to have him with us. It was cool hearing about the new Menzingers track, America Part Two, which was recorded separately between the players in quarantine and and released themselves. And it's a great song that picks up from uh, Hello Exile, which was released in October of 2019. And points a lot more fingers and it is all for a good cause and y'all should check that out you should check out our interview with tom and you should also check out tom's podcast future friday i listened to episode eight yesterday because i don't i can't get enough of you brandon oh yeah that's that's uh hard to believe (laughs) but uh yeah i I did i did do um i did do um future friday tom's podcast and it's um it's very interesting in fact uh he's a really awesome interviewer and his uh Mm -hmm. some of his subjects i know people would be tempted you know people that listen to this podcast may be tempted to listen to that to hear um my take on things because you know me or whatever, I would assume if you're listening to this or you at least know me from this podcast and how 
unbelievably engaging I am. Uh, but um, <laughs> but there's one with uh, the magician uh, Michael Casey that is so amazing. And I know, like, some of you, you're either out there and you're like, oh, I know Mike Casey, or you're like, I have no fucking idea who that is. But I, either way, the Future Friday episode with Mike Casey is fascinating. Good stuff. That's That's my unsolicited plug for today we invite you to check out future friday after you check out patreon.com slash better sandwich also on menzinger's hello exile was released last october on epitaph records which just so happens to be the same record label that will be releasing skeleton coast july 17th yeah man that is true and uh as this road, I'm starting to feel like there's going to be more road than there is time to get there. You know what I mean? Like we're going we're uh-huh. gonna, to we're gonna hit this record. There's still going to be records to do. I realized that since my wedding day, I've been on eleven albums. Wow. So I mean, that's it's been seventeen years, but that's still like uh, pretty wild. Yeah, really is. Do you count Greatest Story Ever Told? Because that came out on your wedding day, right? It, it, well, no, it came out because back then records came out on um, Tuesdays, right? Uh-huh. So that came out that, tu- like, we got married on, like, I think, I think it was even maybe a Sunday, which is odd. Um, And then so, like, the next day was Monday, and then it was, like, the first day of, like, our honeymoon or whatever. Was, uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Was when it came out. I, I even if it was two days later. I mean it was like right there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. The two things were very much in the same week or whatever. But yes, I do count that. Well, you're definitely not gonna be doing much on July seventeenth when the new Lawrence Arms record comes out, but we're gonna be talking about it, and that's an exciting thing and you know when we started this thing it was with the intention of getting through all the records before we got to skeleton ghost but who would have thought that uh one of the greatest uh friendships in the history of time developed out of uh an idea and now here we are we're stretching it out we'll hit the marks but we'll hit them on our own time because i mean you and me that's right buddy eternity that's that's just that's how it seems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true for both of us. We do hope that this podcast, of course, is is reaching all of you well. This is a scary time, um, and it's easy to feel bogged down. It's easy to feel tired. Easy to feel frustrated, angry. All the things you know. We hope that. This is getting to you, and it's coming to you in a space where you can breathe in uh, some relaxing air. And, you know, or if not, this is something that you can put on in the background while you do something awesome in support of the movement that's happening right now. Brennan Kelly, podcast at gmail.com. If you ever want to talk to us about what's going on, we will send you away from asking questions from two white guys about what you should do to support black (laughs) lives. But, um, we can link you up to good resources for sure. For sure. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, 
you know, we spent a lot of time last time talking about um, a lot of aspects of this, and and we spent a little bit of time also yesterday with Tom talking about it, and it's, uh, I think, from a public platform perspective, I've said everything that I should be saying. You know, like, uh, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's like, you know, like, I can be as outraged as I want to, but I don't, I don't fucking, I don't get it. I'm a white guy, you know? And uh, yeah. so it's like, at a certain point, it's like, I'm like, hey, I'm pissed off. If you're not pissed off, you're probably not paying attention. Um, and that's that's basically, that's where I should step mm-hmm. out, probably, you know? Yeah. Um, while still continuing to be an ally and um, a protester and, uh, you know, on the side of justice, you know? It doesn't mean it doesn't mean I'm done. I'm not like, all right, racism solved. But uh, <laughs> for know? sure, for sure. But I think that we're sparing ourselves and and probably everybody out there listening. Doing this for 30 minutes at the front of every episode each week is going to get tiresome, and we're going to get, I think, a little overwhelmed in it. So, um, you know, it's important to acknowledge. And with that, Brendan, last week. We met you at the beginning of this journey. This guy, Matt Stamps, of the coolest band, Slugbug, taught you about a thing called Ska. And now we're going to move forward where you and your new bandmates, you're going to teach Ska a thing or two. Oh, dude. You must have been up late writing that one. That was good. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You came unplugged. Yes. And, um, I, you know, so, so, uh, for, for those of you just joining us, um, this is our second time going through this because once again, I, um, Brendan Kelly, uh, was too stupid to hit the record button at the proper time. Um, I am currently looking again, this, this will become a theme of today as I go, yes, we're still recording. Good. Good. Because, um, we already went through all these wonderful songs and I was, uh, so we we talked about this and yes the first the pr- first practice we had um we did three songs um two were like sort of like hardcoreish songs mm-hmm. and then uh one was called downfall and it kind of had like a ch- like a junk junk hey kind of kind of shit going on <laughs> you know um and uh then there was another song that I can't remember what it was and um I actually Called Rob Kellenberger last night to ask him. Our loyal um, Patreon pledger subscriber. Oh, uh, yeah. That's right. If, if he had any memory of what that other song was. And he remembers that there was a song there. But um, he didn't remember what it was. He thought it was a song called Kansas City, Missouri, which I assure you. It was not Rob. Um, <laughs> that song came later. Um, the first, the first three songs were uh, these two kind of like, and I'm I'm kind of almost doing like a bit of a rage against the machine kind of thing, like in in terms of like uh-huh. a hardcore thing that's got a little of that '90s like funk hip hop situation, you sure. know. It's, you know what? Can, can we just like take a small aside here? And um, Zach De La Rocha, mm-hmm. like I know he was in Inside Out and stuff, but mm-hmm. like there was never any question in my mind that he was a rapper in Rage Against the Machine. Am I the only person yeah. that felt that way? No, hundred percent. He was he was rapping in Rage Against the Machine, right? 
Yeah, like there, there's like it's it's absolutely not. It's there's not even a question. There's no like nuance to it or anything. He's rapping. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Good. Because I hear people and they're just like, you know, great hardcore singers, and it's like he's a great hardcore frontman for sure. One perfect. But he's EP. one that raps. Like, and I mean, I guess he also goes like. <gasps> And stuff like that, but that's like that's te- that's texture. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like his his rapping is definitely like you can hear some of that hardcore influence, but he's more than anything, he's a rapper with a hardcore background. Okay, okay. thank you. Yes, okay, yeah. I, I I don't know. This has been bothering me for a while. I would like because I keep hearing about him referred to in such different terms. And I'm like, am I the only person that thought that was rapping? Am I like, just like that out of it and stupid? Because I, this would not be the first time that I've thought something in the entire rest of the world. It's like, what are you a moron? Uh-huh. You know? Like, yeah. uh, so anyway, um, but the other song was called brother man. And it was <laughs> a, yeah, a good name, good name. And it was a kind of ska punk song. And so, and that one really like we played it and we were like, whoa. I just remember like you know, like everything that was going on was so interesting in it, um, for the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, and like the the ska upstrokes and the way Danny's baseline kind of like utilized like sort of like going on the downstrokes, you know, and so giving yeah. it this like, real like sort of syncopated thing. I mean, you know, like fucking what, how Sky is, uh-huh. right? Um, right, right, <laughs> You right. know, but like at the time, and then it would like all kick in to like a big like power chord, you know, sort of section. And the dynamic was really cool. And it like with my voice sounded, it didn't sound like, even though I was doing Sky, it didn't sound wimpy, you know? And, oh. uh, and, and so with those first three songs, we, um, I think we almost immediately saw that that was more the direction to go. Yeah. You know, than the, than the kind of like the hardcore stuff. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember what that other song is called. Um, but, um, so then the next practice, we came in and Rob had this song in his head and, you know, his melody for the beginning, I mean, that's him doing a five-part harmony at the beginning of the recording of this song, which was called Yellow Plaid, uh-huh. right? And that was more of a pure ska thing. And I think, in no small way, influenced by the fact that Brother Man had gone over. So, I can't say Brother Man without like feeling like <laughs> such a and such a '90s song title. Yeah. I mean, like that is there's some '90s ass shit. But I mean, this was the beginning of the '90s, so makes you sense. Know, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? And uh, yeah, so that whole. It's the new fad to get decked mm-hmm. out in yellow plaid. Like that's that's like a classic Kellenberger melody. I mean, he's just got like a crazy, crazy gift for melody. I mean, among many other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we started playing that, and it was just this was just full Scott all the way through. And totally. um, and at that point, I started singing, and I like I was just kind of going off the top of my head. But those ended up being the words. Like it was like the kind of words that stuck so well um, to the song that like they were inherently remembered. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So it's like I never had to write that one down. 
And um, not long after that, I guess, we we played our first show at Number One Soul in Elgin, uh-huh. which was which was booked by Brian Peterson, who is the drummer of Hoodwink, um, which is the band that um, you know the singer of Slugbug had been in, and that uh, Pete Anna was still currently in, right. And and you know the the fact that Brian was so close to all these dudes had a lot to do with us being able to to you know get on a show mm-hmm. when we had four songs, for example. And and I didn't know much about Number One Soul. It was a Mexican restaurant, I think, but it also had shows in the back. And I know like Naked Raygun had played there, you know, uh-huh. and uh, and it was considered to be like a big deal. Like all the dudes were really excited, so. I was pretty excited about it, and um, the thing that was odd was that even though it was our first show, we only had four songs, I don't remember being, I mean, obviously, it's like, you know, I was just a kid, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I was, like, kind of nervous, but those guys were all such, like, I mean, it's so funny to say, like, consummate professionals, because they're a bunch of fucking 16 and 17-year-olds, but, like... They all had played shows, you know, like like Slugbug was uh, an established band. Whether they had like a ton of fans or not, they were like a band that was a thing. And Flowers, again, also a band with very like specific sounds, you mm-hmm. know, like Slugbug did that like sort of like proto pop punk thing. Um, and and um, Flowers had like an almost, uh, I don't know, like uh, Morrissean quality to it. Yeah. A little bit. Flowers, you know? flowers lives up to the name. Yeah, yeah. They they sound like, but but it's got like oh you know it sounds like a little bit is like the wedding present. Yeah, maybe. totally. Um, totally. Oh, um, good pull. And um, and so anyway, so these are these are these bands that have this like thing going on, and these guys that carry themselves like like three dudes that like are coming up to do the thing that they do, uh-huh. and. I don't remember being like particularly like scared or nervous or overwhelmed. It was like being in that like gang or whatever. Uh, we, I, I was like, oh, yeah, we're gonna do this. And then, you know, we did it. And then that was that was kind of it, man. It was like the we were off to the races. Like I remember it went over really well. Um, people people responded to it, and I mean, I do not recall. Us playing our first show with four songs, two ska, two like hardcore kinds of songs, and everybody being like, "Holy shit!" It wasn't like that, right. but it was like for a first show, it was it was cool, mm-hmm. you, you know. And um, and I mean, you're were people responding to the ska songs the way that y'all were responding to the ska songs? Um, well, in the in the beginning, I don't really remember there being too much of a difference. I feel like both of those things were like interesting, kind of uh-huh. like the, the the like the sort of like the more hardcorey stuff was like kind of a little what you'd, you'd expect from the time, but I remember it as being very heavy and like kind of like I was channeling like burn a little bit which oh, is like sure. a very yeah you know like and 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 stuff like that so i mean it's like it was like that kind of thing but then it would break into ska uh-huh. i think was the part that was like really interesting yeah 
you know, like it's like, oh, this band's got a, like a pretty fucking wide swinging dynamic here. Yeah, you know? I think uh, Leftover Crack comes along and really makes a case for doing just that. Yeah, um, absolutely. So you um, you mentioned Brian Peterson, which uh, that name means a lot to people in Chicago. Outside, people might not know um, Brian Peterson's credentials are pretty extensive. Um, namely, he's he booked the Fireside Bowl from pretty much start to finish. Correct? Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's times in there when he had. I think there's like a brief period of time where he had there's another guy Dave Eves who um booked shows and I think they were like in competition for a second and then all of a sudden it was just like Brian was just like I will Dave just work for me or work with me you uh-huh. know um uh-huh. from what I remember I mean I guess maybe I'm wrong but yeah so but Brian Brian Peterson was the the fireside was his baby, and there and at that time, the fireside was the most important punk rock club in America for sure. Um, simply for the reason that everybody had to go there. Like, if you are from the West Coast and you're going to the East Coast, of course you're going to go to this like legendary bowling alley in the middle of the country. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and if you're from the East Coast, going to the West Coast. If you're from the Midwest, if you're like, it's just it's in the middle of the country. It's a place that's like, you know, it's having what. Two shows a night, seven nights a week. You crazy. know, like it was, it was crazy. It was crazy, and uh, I mean, with a few exceptions, you know. Mm-hmm. But there, there were I, there were weeks that I think were like that, and it's um, it was it was pretty it was a pretty important place, and so when when the fireside did start, we played one of the first shows ever there. Um, Slapstick did, uh-huh. and. I can't remember when that was, and I'm just trying to think of it in terms of, was it a four-piece slapstick that played there, or, I don't know. I, I, I don't remember, but what I do remember is there's still families bowling. Yeah. And they would still, like, applaud for the bands. Uh-huh. And just the bands were just obnoxious as shit, you know? I mean, it was, uh-huh. like, 90s punk rock, and it's, like, these neighborhood families that are just like trying to bowl and <laughs> then all of a sudden like you know fucking nostril saurus is blaring over the yeah. speakers you know is that what you wrote 74 fullerton about mm. seems to be the reason why uh one would take the 74 fullerton bus back in the day yeah. yes yes absolutely um that was the bus but that was much later on i mean but yeah uh, the the Fireside Bowl still is on Fullerton Avenue, and the 74 Fullerton is the bus you would take to get there if you wanted to take go there but via public transportation for sure. Mm-hmm. So you, we talked about Yellow Plaid, we talked about Brother Man. That is those are the two songs that appear on the Tommy Rot Split, which is the first slapstick release. That is correct. Yeah, we we did a split with this band Tommy Rot and Tommy Rot was a band that was like um they were just like a little bit older than us um a lot cooler than us in terms of like they had like a sw- the swagger of like i would say the next level of swagger beyond like what slugbug and flowers had mm-hmm. right um guys in time you would go on to be in sweep the leg johnny um apocalypse hoboken and the alkaline trio 
Um, and it was Glenn Porter on drums, who's the original tr- trio drummer, was one of the main um, things that made that band so cool because he's just such a fucking monster. But beyond that, they had this like sort of um, they had this just attitude that was it was very everything was very somber. You know, it, it uh-huh. was like super, super nineties. Like it still had like a drive to it, and it had this like fucking beast of a drummer. But it was like just sad. I guess there was like a sadness to everything. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know. They were very much of the time. They were like a super, super nineties punk band experimenting with the idea of uh emo you know being uh-huh. a sound but still a punk band um but i don't know that it would hold up today sure, very well sure um were they um were they out in the suburbs too i know that glenn i know that at least he found the alkaline trio font at the crystal lake public library yeah um yeah, they're from the suburbs as well. Um, the same sort of general Fox Valley area, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, dude. Um, what, what? One of the other guitar players was in another band called Groovy Love Vibes, uh-huh. uh, and they were like a pretty brutal hardcore band, actually. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of had that like Luke Skywalker bait and switch thing going on. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, um, so we did this with Tommy Rot, and that that was like a big deal. Um, like I didn't completely understand. The importance of it, except for that, like, Matt and Danny and Rob were like, holy fucking shit, it's, like, this is a big deal, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I still didn't really know much about what was going on out there. So we do do this split, and our side is Yellow Plaid and Brother Man, and then they've got two songs on their side, um, one of which was, like, one of the best Tommy Rot songs, and one of which was... Not one of the best Tommy Rod songs, uh-huh. um, and you know they they were definitely like the side that said Tommy Rod was like the cover, and the side that said Slapstick like had all the credits on it and shit. Like we were definitely on the back, yeah, of the seven inch. And I mean, you know, with good reason. I mean, we had you know it was our first ever release. Um, what did you say? It was uh, yesterday when we discussed this before I realized that I hadn't been recording something brilliant. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, it was. Um, were you Banter Records put it out? Yes, you said? Banter. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, you know. Now that I think about it, may, that might have been Bill Baldwin's label, even. Uh huh. I I don't know. I made that. I, I might be. I might be making that shit up. And who cares? <laughs> I mean, like, to somebody out there listening to this podcast, it's like, no, <laughs> Bill Baldwin of Groovy Love Vibes had a record label to put out one seven inch. You know, yeah. <laughs> and and um, and I don't know if that's true at all. I, I don't know why that just popped into my head. Um, I don't think it is. I, I don't know. Who cares? I have um, like, I have uh, the Fool's Gold comp, which has uh, Slugbug, Groovy Love Vibes, and Flowers on it. Um, 
unfortunately I've only listened to it uh, enough to only remember the Flowers track, uh, but all that aside. Yeah, there's another band on there too. Um, anyway, I think it's Tommy Rot. It is Rott. Tommy Rot, yeah. Yeah, um, and um, so maybe that is Bill's band or label. Anyway, um, so it comes out on Banter Records and it was like, well, we went into the studio to record it and it was like Solid Sound Studios, Phil Bonet, rest in peace, was the uh, engineer and it's in Hoffman Estates, right? It's in Hoffman Estates and um, I'd never been in a studio before. These guys had all done this uh-huh. before and um, at the time I was like, oh my god, this is the most long, drawn out, boring fucking process in the entire universe. Is this seriously how we're going to do everything? Looking back on it now, as somebody that's like spent the last, well, my entire <laughs> life since this moment, uh, <laughs> we're talking about in a studio. Um, I am blown away by how a couple of like 16 and 17 year old kids could be that proficient at their instruments and come, come out like. They just did it so fast, and it was so and it was so well done, and they like just no mistakes by anybody. I mean, all those fucking guys, like they're all fucking unbelievably virtuosic. Is that a word, virtuosic? I think it so. is. We're it, we're calling yeah. it now. Yeah, and uh, and so like I was really we were recording the four songs, right? Um, uh-huh. The two. Downfall, the song I can't remember the name of or how it goes, Yellow Plaid, Brother Man. And I was pretty nervous to go in and sing um, just because, like, I mean, because those guys, like, knew what they were doing and I really didn't. And also, I, I singing's a little more naked, you know. Oh, yeah. Than, Especially than, like, when it's just you. Yeah. And so... Um, so I went in and sang, and I remember I was doing, like, Downfall, where there was, like, this part where I got to go, like, hey! You know, it's like, a big scream. I mean, uh-huh. like, in your classic, like, 90s hardcore, like, mm-hmm. hey! you know, like, that kind of thing. And and I did it, and uh, Robbie kind of, like, pumped his fist. I could see him from the live room. And I was like, okay, I'm doing all right here, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then we listened back, and we listened, and, you know, it's like, the two songs, Brother Man and Yellow Plaid, were just so much better. And I just remember Robbie saying, like, man, I don't believe – you believe our singer's 16 years old? So that's how I can, like, time stamp this, that I was definitely 16. Because I remember that quote because I thought it was a very, very, like, nice compliment. Or uh, some sort of very, like, <laughs> you know – like magical behind the curtain insult that I didn't quite understand. I was yeah. like, I'm taking this to mean something very nice, uh-huh. but it might mean something very right. not nice. But this guy's very nice. I, I'm pretty sure that you know he's not gonna like try and psychologically warp me. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I'm impressed just at the fact that you went into a studio to record four songs and you didn't just put the four songs on the split. I understand that it's like. You know, you have limited space to put on a seven inch, but just the fact that you're smart enough to say like, well, 
these are the two better songs and we might as well only release the two better songs. Yeah, you know, um, I would have to throw that one in Matt's direction. Matt Stamps is like, I mean, he had such a fucking vision for this whole thing. And it's like, as I, you know, now with all the hindsight that I have, um, I think we can all look back and be like, holy shit, the whole thing that we did basically was like by Matt Stamp's design. Mm -hmm. Even like down to like just like biding our time, getting all the right people in the band, and then like, you know, doing like he just like, he knew he knew what he wanted, and he was very smart, very talented, and very determined. And like, and he was one of those dudes that definitely did shit in such a way to make you think that you thought of it. Uh huh. You know, you know, like so, like, and I don't, I don't like, you know, that that might sound like I'm like a dog whistle for saying he's manipulative, but I don't think that was the case. I think that. The case is more like he was bringing you along for the ride. He just already had the decision made. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, I feel like if you're if you have something in mind and you know that it's going to be the best idea, um, it, you might as well, like, share that experience with the people you're doing it with. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and so I think he knew. That, uh, you know, I wouldn't even, I've never considered this before, but I wouldn't be fucking surprised if those other songs weren't just like, cause they were a little more like in the glad hand vein right. of being kind of all over the place. Uh -huh. Maybe, maybe he just wrote those to get me comfortable enough to get into the sky stuff. And like, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. Mm -hmm. Um, like, I mean, that's how like juiced into things. He was. I, I think that's probably a little bit conspiracy theory right like that's veering into some serious fucking you know what i right you there. know what i think it is this um kind of reminds me of of something my friend uh aaron shout out aaron texted me um after last week's episode where we talked about october blood and the end of metropole and he said did you and brendan talk about the end of vertigo because it ends so similarly to the way metropole ends and I said, you know what? We didn't, but having done things like this long enough, there's a certain magic that I think comes with creativity where you notice something and you see that like the, the design of it, but mm -hmm. oftentimes it's not by design. It's just the fact that it's part of the whole process and it seems so well thought out. But I think when you're in the right headspace for creating, Things like that just kind of naturally happen. Yeah, I think that's actually a really uh, good point, and probably a lot more accurate when it comes to this. I mean, he, you know, at this, as as I as I talk about Matt being like some sort of like amazing puppeteer of like uh, the generally, I guess, entire American punk scene mm -hmm. <laughs> on some level. Yeah. Um, uh, we should also keep in mind that he was a 16-year-old kid that liked to, like, you know, drink nine beers in the backseat of his car here and there, uh -huh. you know. Uh, <laughs> so, like, you know, it, it, was, it wasn't like 
It wasn't like being in a fucking band with Young Sheldon or anything, you know. Yeah, well, I <laughs> I do find it interesting that um you know you credit him with finding the right people in the band. We'll we'll circle back to the Tommy Rot um reception, but I I like where we're at here um because you do have some expansion with the lineup and you bring in a couple horn players. Yeah, um that was a that was. A li- pretty pretty quick after um, we recorded the first seven inch, um, we got Aaron Flax, who was the little brother of Jason Flax. Um, Jason played in that band, Hoodwink, mm-hmm. um, and um, along with P- Pete Anna also played in Hoodwink. That was the horn section for Hoodwink was Jason and Peter, or yeah, Jason and Peter, and uh, and then Carl Henkelman, who and. Um, I believe Robbie actually found those two dudes um, in his like jazz band, high school jazz band, uh-huh. right? Um, and, and well, Aaron was younger. We knew him like through Jason mostly, and maybe and, and Carl was just in the jazz band. And Carl was, um, as I said yesterday, he actually looks physically a lot like Carl, um, the personal assistant from uh, When Homer Gets Hair. Yeah, hello, Homer. Mr. Kelly, I just want to make sure that we're still recording right now, just so we get this all on tape. (laughs) Yes. It it turns out we are. Yeah, Uh, and and uh, and 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 and, um, he doesn't sound like Harvey Firestein, uh, (laughs) but uh, but he looks like that drawing. Uh, Tall, you know, broad-shouldered, very slender. Kind of like, I, I might be like remembering him a little more like buttoned up than he was, but like I would say like check the button up short sleeve shirt, braided belt, khaki pants yeah. type of thing. Yeah, you know, um, and um, and he was a good trumpet player, and Aaron was pretty good at the trombone, um, mm-hmm. he, and and. Uh, Aaron was pretty good. And the first thing that happened was we I saw a review of the Tommy Rot split seven inch. Mm-hmm. And and it was like, first of all, that's the first time anybody had ever written anything about anything I'd ever been a part of. And I was so like, whoa, that's crazy. You know, I don't know this person. Mm-hmm. And um, I've never heard of this magazine. And then the whole the review of the record it starts out and it's just all about slapstick and how like this is what everybody's been dying to hear and all this stuff and and then it kind of shits on the Tommy Rot side like right yeah. at the very end and it's like yeah Tommy Rot on the other hand is kind of uninspired and the second song makes no sense at all uh, and and I, and I was like whoa like. It was the first indication to me that we were on to something that was like maybe uh bigger than I thought it was or we were doing something more interesting than I thought cuz you know when you're in the room nothing seems very interesting it just becomes like the nuts and bolts of what you're doing right you know i mean beyond like the initial like it's like oh that song is cool and then Matt's like i think i'll play it like this and it's like okay that's the way Matt will play Okay, this is the baseline that goes with that. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fine. This is the vocal melody. I'll try. You know, and it becomes like a, I mean, it becomes a, 
I, I mean, to use a, the sexiest possible term, an assembly line at a certain point, you know, uh-huh. where, where you just are like, okay, here's my contribution. Here's my contribution. You know, and I, I, I talk about this a lot with you, Tim. Um, that's what a lot of bands, that's where a lot of bands fucking fall apart, I think, is getting so into that assembly line process that the part where you come up with something that's an interesting idea that you would actually like to hear yourself uh-huh. gets completely lost. Right. Because wh- while that assembly line process is important in terms of putting everything together, it is not sexy and it's not the main thing. But bands so often get mired down in that. And it, I shouldn't even say mired down in that. It becomes the only thing. Uh-huh. You know, like a guitar player is like, okay, here's a part. We'll play it six times. Then here's another part. We'll play that six times. And the bass player is like, all right, I know what I have to do. I have to figure out baseline for this. And it, nobody at any at any point is ever like, but is this some? Is this good? Yeah. You know, like, does anybody care about this? And so, and Glad Handed operated like that, I'd say, quite a bit. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, we we're such a stupid <laughs> band. Uh, but, but this was the first time that I had gotten an indication of the thing beyond the assembly line process where it was like, oh, the stuff that went into this turned out something that people like responded to, yeah. you know? And it's like, oh, so that's what you have to do. I mean, this is another one of those moments where like, you know, like it, this podcast and my life are full of these moments where I see something finally that everybody just inherently knows. And then I go, oh, now I understand that. Like, uh-huh. I'm, I'm just like too naive to too many processes, I think, um, to really grasp a lot of stuff without like having seeing it myself. Um, but so anyway... So at, at that point, things started happening pretty fast, and we get Carl and Aaron into the into the band, and um, and then uh, we start playing shows. And once we have horns in the band, things sort of explode, right? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, like yeah. It, it, it was very quickly that we went from like, like, oh, that band with those guys from Slugbug and Flowers, to like. Dude, there's this like punk band that has trumpets and trombones and shit in it, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it it just became, I would say, spectacle as much as anything. But then we were writing songs like, I mean, I'd drive out to Elgin three times a week, and every time I'd go out there, there there'd be a song, you know, and it would be wow. like, you know, uh. Like sometimes, like all the music would be done. Sometimes it would just be a chorus. Um, sometimes it would be the chorus and the the verse written. You know, um, I mean, we were just like writing songs like crazy, and um, and some of the some of the first songs. Well, and and then at some point, Matt and I were hanging out, and he's like, "Dude, Pete." from hoodwink is going to come play with us. And Pete was like older and in hoodwink. He was intimidating as shit to me. Um, which is yeah. 
amazing because Pete is like one of the like sweetest, kindest people on the earth. Uh-huh. But I mean, he was just like, he's really tall. At that time, he had like fucking crazy ass hair and he was just cool. You know, like he was, he was cool in a way that like you are when you're like 18 to a kid that's 16, you know, yeah. like, and, um, and Matt's Especially like, Especially yeah. someone that you're only used to seeing at like shows that he's playing. Yeah, exactly. He's not like hanging out in the room with you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, um, and he fucking, and Matt was just like, yeah, we're gonna get Pete to come play with us. And he's like, I think we're gonna, we're gonna, he'll stay. We're gonna keep him, you know? And I was like, damn, you think so? That would be amazing. Because the other thing about Pete was he's cool. Like, with no disrespect to Carl and Aaron, they were like band guys, you know, mm-hmm. um, jazz band guys, high school band guys, marching band guys, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And Pete was cool. Um, yeah. And, and like to have a horn player, they're like, like had the same sort of like general vibe as the rest of us was like, oh, that's like a missing piece, right? Like that's that's really neat, mm-hmm. and and um, and so we uh, Pete came down and he he played with us, and then at that point we wrote the two songs that would end up uh, being the superhero EP, which was the first seven inch that we actually did, and. Um, uh-huh. Like on our own, you know, not a split, which was uh, would be our next release, and um, and the, the like I came in and uh, Matt had this song uh, Johnny, um, and he had the chorus all written. And he he he's played it, sang it to me. It's a really long song, and so I had to like yeah write a dick ton of words for that song, um, and then. Uh, Guy Smiley, which is the other song on the on the seven inch, uh-huh. and uh, he he had and it was the same thing. He had all the words and melodies for the choruses mapped out, and they had already like kind of arranged the songs, mm-hmm. and and I was just to sing the verses or whatever. Yeah, and um, so we go into the studio to record these two songs, um, and uh. And, and it's like we're just like blown away by how the shit sounds. And as I was saying to you yesterday, I know Pete was there because the trombones go like mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. in uh, in Johnny, and uh, and um, so there was definitely two trombones at that point. Um, and anyway, like we were just like when the music was laid down, we were like, holy fucking shit. Like this is really something else. Like this is, you know, the difference from like yellow plaid to Johnny and, uh, fucking guy smiley is humongous. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, and, and so, um, and then it was time for me to sing. And once again, I was like, Oh fuck. You know, this is, I mean, <laughs> at this point, like this shit's, actually really good and uh you know here i come to like fuck this all up and so i I sang and i didn't have like a ton of confidence so it took me a while to get through it and it was frustrating but then when i was done um carl i believe it was carl was like hey can i see the words to this 
And uh-huh. uh, I just had them on like a loose piece of paper that was in my pocket. And it's like, I had the words memorized. Um, but for whatever reason, I just had the, you know, I had the lyrics in my pocket because I don't know. I'm the kind of scumbag that walks around, like, just like make something. And it's just like, eh, cram it in your pocket and wear the pants for a week. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but to this day. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, to this day, I still have those lyrics in my pocket. Um, but uh, <laughs> but then he was like, these are really, like, good lyrics. And I was like, huh? And then everybody was like, oh, let me see these, you know? And then, like, we're listening to the song, and they're like, holy shit, dude. Like, you know, like, these, these are, this is, like, really, really smart, you know? And all I had done was try to, like, work really hard on lyrics so they wouldn't be noticeably awful. You uh-huh. know what I, you know what I mean? Like that was that was where I was at. I was just like I, I am the weak link of this entire organization. Um, sure. I can't, I can't really sing. These guys like know everything about like melody and writing songs and like virtuosity and now we've got two other three other guys in the bands who are like you know, like even more like classically trained musicians in like the, you know, the traditional sense or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I and and I I can't really sing and uh, <laughs> you know and so so um, like I, let me just make sure that these lyrics are not terrible. But I never like was at any point like, oh yeah, these lyrics fucking kill it but all of a sudden when those guys to get like the validation from that group of dudes that when they were like huh like these are really really good like this like yeah like and it was just like sort of like holy shit i don't believe we're like you know we like it sort of like changed i think our own perception of the band it was like all of a sudden it wasn't just like a like it was like we were like a smart band as goofy as we were or whatever yeah, it's a whole nother dimension. And that was sort of at the point where I was like, oh. First of all, I was like, oh. I have something to offer here that's like actually my own. Um, this is this is something that like I bring to the table that I think maybe I, I do actually do well. You yeah. Know? And, yeah. Uh, and then I... And that's when I first acknowledged that I could do something like that well, uh-huh. um, period, you know, and that, and that it was valuable to the, uh, the organization or whatever. And, um, and that was also probably the beginning of me turning into kind of an asshole. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, we talked about this yesterday, but just you have so much that's happening to you that you don't understand. Yeah. And you see something that's written about your band that's like, oh, this is what people have been waiting to hear. And you're like, wait, hold on, what? Um, and then all of a sudden there's this, uh, I think that the direct validation to what you yourself are doing finally comes. And it's like all of this pent up energy uh, that you've been unsure of how to how to embrace it. It just all comes in at once. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. And 
You know, and then while this was all happening, I mean, once that record came out, which it did pretty quick, um, we're just writing more and more and more songs, and we're starting to become very popular very quickly. Like, mm-hmm. um, like it, you know, um, as I was saying to you yesterday, it happened so fast that it was a long time before I realized that suburban punk rock shows weren't always packed. You yeah. know, like I, I thought, um, just because the ones I went to were slapstick shows, you know, right, um, right. I, I thought that like, it was just like, that's what kids had to do. You know, like if you're in Elmhurst, you go to the VFW hall and you watch a punk show who, who cares what's like really going on there. Um, and, um, but no, it turns out that like, and, and I said this to you yesterday as well, when I would get on stage, it was always with the understanding of like, or the, the thought process of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to win everybody in this room over. Like, Right. Not realizing that everybody in the room was there to see us, like <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like to me they were just like another. It was like, um, it it was just a crowd that happened to exist, and then we had to go out there and and uh, and you know, sort of like dance for our dinner a little bit, and uh, I think that that was a that that sort of level of naivete on my part contributed a lot to sort of the performances that at least from what I did, you know what I mean? Cause it was real, like, like, all right, you better be awesome or none of these people will like you, you know? And, uh, mm-hmm. so, but, but also you're going in with like, we're going to steal this fucking show. And mm-hmm. when you're, when you're swinging up, when you're going in, like with the idea that you're there to win fans over, and those fans are already fucking paying for you, but you don't know that, but you're still working for it. It's right. like, damn, that's about as good of a mentality as you can bring to anything. Sure. Yeah. And it, it uh, and it, it, you know, and it fucking helped and showed. I, and, you know, it, it became like sort of like pretty hallmark of, I think slapstick was like, we would like, well, eventually would we there's one thing that had to happen first and that was um i believe it was robbie was like he was like dude okay so we we started playing our shows at the third floor loft which was an old um uh aa meeting place on the third floor in downtown elgin Mm -hmm. and and, uh brian peterson booked it and it was i think after number one soul uh stopped being stopped doing shows for a while. And, um, so that became the new sort of place in Elgin. And because of our relationship with Brian, we got to play there a lot. It was really where we like sort of came up and like, and I say came up, you had to load up three fucking flights of tiny stairs, uh, uh-huh. to get to this fucking place. And it was so like blazing hot up there, no matter what time of year it was. And the floor like bounced and, um, but it was, it was cool. I mean, that was where slapstick, uh, like really started, you know, that was our home turf mm-hmm. kind of. And, um, and, 
one day, oh, and I should mention this because it's a good piece of trivia that we we discussed yesterday. On the first floor was this like Mexican cowboy bar, and um, <laughs> I swear that I I know I'm remembering this wrong, but I swear in my memory there was never a point where I we played a show at the third floor and we played a lot of fucking shows at the third floor where somebody didn't get somebody didn't throw one of those cowboys through the picture window downstairs <laughs> out onto the sidewalk and like when we got there it was just like broken glass and blood and you know ripped up cowboy hats and shit so <laughs> fucking awesome and uh as i as i said to you yesterday i like again i'm sure it was not every single time that I played there that that happened. But even if it was twice, that's a lot of cowboys getting thrown through picture windows. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. It really is. <laughs> um, Something that I only thought happened on TV. Apparently that's right. it's happening in Elgin weekly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but so Robbie, I think, was like, dude, I saw this band called Dropjaw play and – their singer is like this, like, he's just like a dirty punk kid like us. But he's got the voice, like, he sounds like Jesse from Operation Ivy. But then he pulls out this trumpet and he's like awesome at it, you know? Um, you, let's go down and check him out, right? Uh -huh. So we go to, we go down to the third floor to see, because he's like, yeah, they're playing this show. And so we go down and everything that Robbie says is correct. Guy's got an amazing voice. He's awesome on stage. He's just like, you know, he's just like a punk, like just like the rest of us. Right. Like sort of, um, like the sort of minimalist punks that we were, like kind of like buzz cuts, T-shirts, shorts, kind of dirty, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, and then he pulled out his trumpet and he's fucking amazing, right? And, uh, and, um, and so afterwards, we went up to him. And we were like, hey, you know, we're the guys from Slapstick. You, you know, any chance you'd like to come practice with us? And he was just like, ah, yeah, I'll try your stupid band. Or, <laughs> you know, because he was Dan Hanaway. He was still ab absolutely very much Dan Hanaway. Um, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Young Dan Hanaway is still, like, like doesn't give too much of a shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, about your dumb ideas. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. And I say that with no disrespect to Dan. I mean, Dan's the fucking he's brilliant you know he's one of the most brilliant fucking people I, I know um but yeah i mean like definitely he kind of like laughed at us like yeah i'll, I'll try out your stupid band or whatever and um <laughs> and at this point um i don't exactly remember like how the so we had we had like the full horn lineup at this point of four, four horns. So, so let me stop you real quick. Cause I wanted to ask you this earlier. Um, you mentioned the, the fact that you had horns and that was like a crazy thing. Um, my sky history is not so great between you and operation Ivy. Um, but you know, there were, I'm sure like hopeless records, ska bands that were doing stuff. Uh, in 1991 was the presence of horns like on stage was that something that was 
you would never see or was it just that it wasn't as prevalent as it would later become um well you know for one thing hoodwink had horns uh-huh. but they weren't a ska band they were not even like a punk band they were just like a a rock band i think they kind of were maybe like a little bit of a funk band uh-huh and um and then you know bands like the the, the slackers had sure. horns but like at the time when slapstick started there was there was no fucking ska punk bands on hopeless records doing a goddamn thing i don't think mm-hmm. i mean like like I, the boss tones existed skank and pickle existed right um but they were a ska band you know like uh it i guess the the short answer is no it was not mm-hmm. common you were enough uh, of a punk band for it to be real anomal yeah and also like the idea of like a band like a small band like playing in these kind of rooms oh, with sure. horns yeah, was yeah. like just like no fucking way to, you know like mm-hmm. didn't exist right and uh and so we went in to record the crooked seven inch which uh what was benefited greatly by the fact that uh dan hanway and pete were on there writing horn parts by this point i think maybe aaron what what i remember happening mm-hmm. is is that Carl was getting real fucking he had a real like bug up his ass about Hanaway and um because Hanaway was absolutely as good of a player as Carl if not better and uh also you know he kind of fit in the like the the vibe a little bit a little bit better sure. and and he was just a cool guy and he took like no shit from anybody uh-huh right so if Carl would be like how about this you know as the head you know, first chair trumpet player and here in slapstick and you know, things like shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like that that kind of thing is how I imagine uh, it went. Um, you know, <laughs> but uh, poor Carl, wherever you yeah, are, <laughs> I'm sure he's doing absolutely fine yeah. right now. He's he's a he's a driven driven guy in his own right. Um, but he uh, I remember we're in the studio and he's just like this one horn part, you know, I just, <laughs> it's just, it sounds so wrong to me. And, and it was like the, at the end of broken down where it's like, that like at the end, like Hanaway had added that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that was, uh, that was really sticking in, Carl's craw, man. And so uh, at that point, we were like, well, that's pretty much the coolest part of the horn part. Um, <laughs> thank uh-huh. God Dan came along and wrote that part in because that song already existed. That was like our big song. I still consider that to be maybe the best slapstick song. It's I don't up know. there for sure. And so as I said yesterday, I think that's around the time that Matt Stamps being the responsible, conscientious, um, good dude that he is, took Carl and Aaron around the barn, old yeller style, mm-hmm. and uh, gave him the old heave ho, you know, um, <laughs> which 
Fuck, I, I, I don't know. Not an enviable job. Yeah. Um, but, again, as I said yesterday, it's like when you fucking get your teeth pulled and all of a sudden you're like, holy fuck, that feels so much better. Let's party. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden we had, like, two cool horn players that were both awesome at the horns. They both could sing. Everyone in the band could sing. Mm-hmm. Matt didn't like, like to sing. But he he could carry a tune, but he just he he's the only person that didn't have a mic, um, so we've got, you know, all of a sudden like the what's going on with slapstick goes from being like oh this is a this is a cool band that's like getting kind of big around the suburbs and you know they've got an interesting thing going on to like it's like six of us five of us singing. Um, Two horn players that like actually look cool and can play, and then, and we've been like writing these songs, and like really, you know, that are written by Robbie and Matt. Uh, these melodies that are so good, you know, it's like really, uh, like the combination was just like at that point, I think it was just a matter of like. We just have to play in front of you. Yeah, you know? like like where 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 we were, where the where music was. It was like, and this this was all still in the first year or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and and at, at that point, it was like, yeah, like if if we can if we can get if we can get in front of that's my laundry machine again. <laughs> LG, uh, if you're listening. We'll take your money. <laughs> That's right. We sure will. Um, but yeah, at that at that point, it, it just became like a whole different kind of thing where it was like we were like a gang, you know, mm-hmm. like all all six of us were just like super like ride or die. And it didn't matter. Like there was no I mean, there was obviously like the dynamic of like Matt and Robbie being um sort of the the really old friends that are kind of at the core of the whole thing mm-hmm. who who were also like the real visionaries of what this would be and, and um and then also probably the least into just juvenile bullshit of, <laughs> of all of us, you know, like the other four of us were like some like fart lighting, weed smoking, <laughs> beer drinking, keg stand doing dorks, you yeah. know, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. but Matt and Robbie like staying a little bit above the fray. Um, Band in, in full of teenagers is good to have some, uh, some adults in the group. Yeah, I think that there's yeah. something too that might get lost a little bit in the history. Um, is you know the Tommy Rot split, it's a good split. Um, it sounds sounds all right. Sounds a little rough. Um, but superhero is such a step up, and crooked is that fucking seven inch. I don't think gets its credit because three out of the four of those songs go on to the LP. The mm-hmm. uh, versions that are on the seven inch don't make it onto the uh, discography. That seven inch crooked, not tonight. My only friend broken down fucking killer. 
yeah, man, those, those that was it was a this was like the time I remember like Matt coming in with the song Crooked and I was just like, whoa! And then like the way the horns were coming out. And this was and this was when. See, I don't know. See, this is where my timeline gets fucked up because I don't know if did did Carl play on this seven inch? Um, Carl played on uh, Johnny, which was on Superhero. Yeah. So by Crooked, it seems like we got the Pete and Dan horn section so maybe pete and dan were already in the band for the superhero ep is that i guess that probably makes sense because yeah aaron and carl weren't no aaron and carl were on the superhero right but but i'm wondering were were oh they might have been there too were pete and dan also on there Uh is that like a four-piece horn situation you know what johnny's got johnny's got fucking horns yeah, I mean, it's yeah, and, that, and that's what I was saying about like the uh, mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. it's like two trombones going back and forth. So maybe they are. Maybe it, I mean, you know, the other thing is this is almost thirty years ago. So right, like, and right, my right, time right. and my timeline sucks. Like when we're talking about fucking Metropole, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's gonna suck at this too. But you're doing good. Um, oh, thanks. But. But yeah, like once, uh, once once like this lineup kind of like was solidified and like we're doing crooked. I mean, Matt brought in that that song crooked, and I was just like, "Well, this song doesn't turn punk at all." Yeah, you know. But then it's still got that like fucking dirty jangle to it, mm-hmm. you know. That's just like, oh yeah. And then, and then that's when I kind of realized that it was like, oh, there's something really cool about like the way my shitty voice goes over this gives it kind of a distortion that it doesn't need in the totally, you know? And, and that was, that was like sort of revelatory for me. And then, um, it's also, that song has like four hooks. It's fucking absurd. Yeah, I know that that's, I mean, and that's all, that's all Matt. Um, but he, he just wrote, he, he comes in and he, 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 I remember we were like sitting in his car or something. Uh-huh. And he's like, either him or Robbie, or maybe both of them. And it was like, yeah, we got this new song and it and the you know, the the chorus is like right before the chorus it says, I can see right through it and it's crooked to the bone. Hell yeah. And I was like, damn, that's, that's cool shit sounding, you know? And then uh and then like, yeah, and then it's gonna go time bomb. It's gonna be a time and I was like, Wow. You know, and then all of a sudden like you got the the Pete Hanaway horn part that's like a, a hook in its own right, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, that song also features really good lyrics from you. I'm assuming you wrote the verses. Um, yeah, I wrote I wrote the verses. Um, I, I wrote everything, but I I didn't write. I can see right through it, and it's crooked to the bone. Mm-hmm. Time bomb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> everything else. Everything else I wrote. I mean, you're fucking politics are so embedded into that track yeah for sure that was you know um the 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 whole like reality of chicago at that time and before that leading up to this time was that there was like a huge i mean 
thank God this is all over now. There's a huge uh, pro- homeless problem, mm-hmm. um, you know. But in, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, which was Boys Town, I mean, th- like every day there was a dude that like was like seven feet tall, um, uh, very gigantic, like you know, probably three hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. He wore burlap sacks, like mm-hmm. a suit of burlap sacks. And was on my fire escape every morning, you know, wow. and I would just like walk by him and, you know, he was nice enough. He never said a single word. Like if I saw him on the street, I'd wave to him, uh-huh. you know, and like there, it was just like the reality, the fabric of the neighborhood that I grew up in was one full of very, uh, I don't want to say colorful homeless characters because that sounds like the kind of shit that like a Hollywood producer says right. um, when they're trying to, but like. It was a very, like, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that were, like, a, a, a vast array of different kinds of homeless people. Some, like, very intelligent um, and down on their luck. Some, like, clearly had mental issues. Um, some, I think we're just out there because that there is like a community out there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like it's, it's interesting to think about growing up in a place like that and how you're um, socialized with that reality. Um, especially considering my own perspective of, you know, being from the suburbs and going into the city three or four times a year and being told that like homeless people don't want to work you know that's a right that's a way that's a way that i think um a lot of parents can uh well it's something that they either believe which is fucking really unfortunate or it's uh something that they can use as a way to avoid explaining what happens to people to their kids or they or it's something that they use as a motivator to make you want to work. Yeah. So you don't have to like right. sleep on the floor mm-hmm. or the ground rather. Um, but I mean, I, I think it's the first one a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I don't think you ever say homeless people just don't want to work. If you know that to not be true, you know what I mean? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like, if, if 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 you're if you're hearing that that's that's what that person believes because anything else is just so Machiavellian, right? To to mm-hmm. be like, well, I know that there's um, you know, systemic racism and uh, the stigmati- stigmatization of uh, you know mental health issues in this country that uh, you know push people out of jobs and uh, evaporating social safety net um, that our um, corporate plutocrat overlords are doing their best to completely uh, dissolve in this country, make it so these people have nowhere to go whatsoever. But <laughs> my friend's dad knows a guy who tried to get a homeless guy a job once and he didn't want but, it. No, but like, but you know what? I don't want to explain that to little Tim. Uh-huh. So, uh, so they just don't want to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's a much, it's a much shorter thing to say. Um, but no, nobody was fucking thinking like that. I don't think that's, that's pre- like I said, that's pretty Machiavellian or, or lazy to the point of almost being art. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, we, we were also like really, really into all the all the Gilman Street bands, you know, and the uh, yeah. and and those bands all had um, a real sort of thing about. And there's a similar situation going on in Berkeley as there was in my neighborhood in Chicago, which was mm-hmm. um, a lot of homelessness. Um, but you know, and and it was very much a point of uh, like a rallying point for the Gilman Street punk bands. Mm-hmm. You know, like Fifteen uh, was very into like homeless outreach and stuff like that in particular. And that was a band that was very important to all of us. Um, you know, so so that. Uh, Definitely contributed. I don't want to like come out like I'm saying like, well, yes, I had this unique experience right. and yeah. as such, it really informed the lyrics at the time when that wasn't going on. It's like the truth is, I did have that experience and it did inform my lyrics. But also, like some of the bands that I thought were the coolest were singing about very similar things, mm-hmm. and you know, mm-hmm. so it, it. uh But you know, some of the bands I that were some of my favorite bands were. Singing about like you know farts and shit like that, so like uh, it's all just like where you gravitate, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, that that seven inch was a big deal. I think it really changed the game for us a lot, and um, it was. Um, I mean, broken down. Like I said, I think that's still my favorite slapstick song, and I remember when when Matt came with that, and uh, he. Uh, he show you broke down the door to my heart, and that was that was what he had written, and uh, and then I wrote the verses, and like then all of a sudden I had written like a really cool melody, you know. Uh-huh. Um, that was like sort of the first time I remember like that, and I was so proud of like the way that melody kind of like sort of uh, you know surfs out at the end or whatever. Yeah, and. Uh, and then Robbie came in and did like these incredible backing vocals and, and oh, like those vocals are so good. And, and just the way the horns come in at the end, mm-hmm. just like the, yeah, you know, like all that shit was so was so cool, dude. And Carl was definitely around for that shit because I remember him playing those parts. Uh huh. Um, God, I can't like the timeline is gonna drive it's me nuts. Right. But it's I, all right. It's all right. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> who cares? So anyway. Yeah, that that seven inch that seven inch happened, and it it really was was a bit was a big one for us for sure. Um, you, you we've talked a lot about different people's um, contributions and their talents. Um, Dan Andriano, um, I mean, he's got a number of fucking stellar performances. My only friend is one of my favorite ones. But, um, you know, when you met Dan, when Dan started playing, was he just immediately, um, was he already there as far as bass playing goes? He's just, he's so busy and inventive and it's, it's my, one of my favorite parts about the Alkaline Trio is when he comes in and he refers to it as being too busy, but it's like, no, like fucking for your lungs only is perfect. Yeah. Dan, um, was always like, how do I put this the right way? Uh, whereas Matt was like a machine, you know, mm-hmm. like when he'd start doing like chugs, it was like you could fucking set an atomic clock to those chugs. Yeah. Like it, it, it would just be like, and he could do it so fast. And like 
everything he played was with such purpose and it was so um well purposeful i mean yeah this is the best way i could put it and and you know rob is like an unbelievable drummer rob, rob is like so good that I don't know if he's even thinking about it at all mm-hmm. <laughs> in any regard, yeah. you know, like, like, I think he's just like, he's like, oh yeah, I'll keep perfect time and I'll do, you know, whatever fills come to mind. They'll just happen to be the best ones you'll mm-hmm. hear all day. Mm-hmm. And um, also I can sing in, in perfect pitch, yeah. uh, you, you know? So, and then Dan was like, Dan's dad's a mechanic. And like, that's the way I would describe Dan on the bass. Like, just, like, really getting under the hood uh-huh. and, like, really just, like, looking at it, studying it, you know, seeing what's wrong. If I if I turn this gear this way, does the car start? If I turn this gear this way, does the car start? You know, and just, like, I remember with the song Brother Man, actually, uh-huh. um, he gets... He, when we first started playing it, he was doing this thing that was, like, it was, like, bouncing on the fifths. Like, it was just, like... Like something like that, right? And then he was like figuring out this other baseline, and I was just like, dude, this baseline sucks. It's like it's too weird. It's like playing against the melody. And he's like, no, it's not. I just haven't gotten it right yet. And then by the time we go to record it, it's this baseline that's just like so crazy and awesome. And you know, like I don't think he had to be like told you so motherfucker uh because i think we we're all like wow that that is a that is a great baseline but you know that like to me when i think i still think about that all the time when i think about dan and his playing like it's it's like that moment where he took the the baseline that was already like very proficient and um sounded very cool with the song mm-hmm. it was like no I want to do something that's like out out there, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the the funny thing about Dan was it was like, and this is especially funny to think of now. It, the big joke was the idea of Dan singing at first. Wow. Because um, <laughs> like, because he, like, he was just like, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and. Uh, and I mean, so like, I think also, and I'm really wildly speculating here and, uh, you know, I don't, Dan's not going to listen to me talk about Dan, but if you're oh, out there, he's Dan, he's going to listen to me do anything. So yes, that's true. But, uh, if you're out there, Dan, you can, you can correct me, um, uh, happily. Uh, but I believe that the fact that we used to laugh about the idea of Dan singing has a lot to do with why Dan is such a good singer now. That's fucking awesome. Um, and, uh, and like, so, you know, like, like I said, we'd go in and, and write, like there'd be songs every week. Right. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes like three a week or whatever. And like a lot of them weren't that good or I couldn't make a melody work was sometimes a thing mm-hmm. that w- would, would, stop songs from uh existing i i can i can just like still remember several of those that are like it's embarrassing to me too to this day to think about how like i couldn't make those songs work and they were so cool uh 
I don't know. It's it's weird how much like that kind of stuff sticks with you. But you know what's interesting um, is that I think that um, whatever you were doing at age sixteen that uh, you fell short doing, it would still stick with you. You just happen to be doing it in uh, in one of the most important bands of our time. Mm. Well, geez, Louise, that's it's a <laughs> just we based more... on all of the bands that came from it that have nothing to do with you. It's one of the most important bands of our oh. time. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I can ac- I can accept that. Um, but uh, but so um, one day we came in and there was like this song um it's called my way and uh and it was robbie and dan had written a song together and it was like dan was like and i'm gonna sing the other part like the back and forth it's the i don't care i don't care about you Mm -hmm. i don't have a problem going on without you right and um and so danny uh like wrote this song basically so he could so he could start singing so like the the idea of like Ha ha, isn't funny? The idea of Dan singing was like, nope, it's not funny. That's actually happening. And he's going to like sing like the, the first lead vocal of this song, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, I just, all I had to do was write the chorus. And I wrote a chorus and it fucking sucked. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. And um, it just wasn't working. And Matt Stamps comes over and he goes, all right, yeah, that's not working. Just uh, like like, and we'd recorded a demo with it and everything, and it was just like was no good. Um, and he's like, okay, this is what the chorus would be. It'll be like, dun, 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 I don't need you, I don't need you, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, that's that's very much better. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That's <laughs> a lot better. And then it's like, if you need like an insight into like that guy's pop sensibility, it's like look no further than that. Like I slaved to make something great, and it sucked ass. And then he was just like, it, it was like, it was like if like a, a, a little kid like drowning in the water while like a dad like sits on the dock, just like drinking whiskey, not even looking down. And then finally, at like the moment where the kid's about to go under, he just like reaches down and pulls him out of the water and sets him on the dock. Uh-huh. That, that's it's like it was like that easy for for Matt, you know, it's just like. And it was only like, I'll let you try. Uh, you know, like, why don't you try this? Uh, you, no, okay, okay. Here, here's the chorus, actually. Well, I mean, I, I think that says a lot, too, about what, you know, we were talking about with Matt earlier, his ability to, you know, feel like people were taking part in his own ideas. He's giving you opportunities, and it's not like he's designing it for you to try and fail he's giving you the opportunity to try and to try your best yeah and yeah and i mean like also i mean that band was highly collaborative you know like uh like i could tell you pretty much down the line who wrote every song and it's like was it um was it matt and robbie that came in with this was it um you know, Hannaway and Robbie. Was it me and Hannaway? Was it just Dan? Was it just me? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, it, there was a it, it, it was um, very very collaborative. I mean, Robbie wrote a lot of the horn parts. Um, 
Yeah. You know, just by like, and I mean, this is like, and that's like where Pete would really fucking shine was like, Robbie would be like, do it like this. And then Pete would be like, like this. And then just play it. <laughs> it's like, wow. That thing's like a kazoo it's to amazing. Him. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that was like, again, and it's like, I don't mean to harp on it so much. And like, I'm sure it's boring to hear over and over again, but it's just like that fucking group of dudes. I mean, it's like Matt Stamps, Rob Kellenberger, Dan Andriano, Dan Hanaway, and Pete Anna are like probably the five most talented guys I know. You know, like it's not boring to hear because I think that the myth of slapstick is how did this band do what they did in, at such a young age and in such a short period of time. And when you find out that it's that collaborative and that everybody's participating so much, then, yeah, it fucking makes sense that you have all of these offshoot bands that have fucking made such a colossal no pun intended impact yo <laughs> yeah i mean I, I suppose i suppose that is like true but it's just like uh it is it was a great way to learn like um you know i i am the least musical of anybody in that organization and uh I have a career in music because in a hundred percent, because I was thrown into a room with those guys mm -hmm. for, for three years, you know? And like, and I mean, and we fucking like rolled hard out there. It was like every second of the, like if there's a point where I think we were, we were going out there, Chris, Chris and uh, Steve Katzel, um, who uh, was the the guy who we talked about last week? He recently passed away, but Steve was like um, the the dude that was always there with us, and and uh, and Chris would come out with me every once in a while, and I think that like Matt. I think it must have been Matt's idea because it's just too good of an idea and it's too kind to have come from anybody else. And I mean, the way I phrase it, it's not kind, but like his idea was like, these two dudes are both very talented and they're both always here. They should start a band. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like this, like mating in captivity sort of situation where he's yeah. kind of like, let's put these two guys in a, in a room and see what happens. And then, um, and I believe Robbie filled out the rest of their lineup. He knew uh, Memo from Choir and uh, Jeremy from maybe from Band. I don't know, mm -hmm. but but uh, <laughs> I remember Chris was like, or maybe it was even Steve was like, yeah. After you after Slapstick practice, come over. We got we got the other two dudes. Like you know. Come, come, give us the, uh, tell us the truth, you know? Uh-huh. And, and, uh, we went over and it was like, you know, it's a first band practice. So it's like, it's going to be a little rough, but they were definitely like already like a band that sounded like a band, mm -hmm. you know? And, and <laughs> we could not fucking get past 
the just resplendent mullet that Jeremy was rocking. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were all like walked in and we're like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, it was. <laughs> It's so, fucking awesome. 1993. Yeah, and I, and I, I just, and so it was like, what do you think? I'm like, good drummer, weird haircut. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, I think was the quote. Because uh, <laughs> Jeremy now is, um, uh, dates, I don't even know if dates is, that's too casual of a word, is the man of um, Deanna. Bellows, sincere engineer. Oh, and um, oh, and <laughs> she recently was like, "Yes, I believe you. I believe that your words were good drummer, weird haircut." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah." But um, but I mean, like, shit, man. I you know, I love Jeremy, and I he he <laughs> he, he knows, and I, I I mean nothing nothing but but love by the whole thing but um but i don't remember exact oh so the reason i bring up tricky deck is because they practice at steve castle's house and um and it would just be like at this point we're going out there like pretty much every day you know Mm. um and if if like if it's me and chris would drive out to elgin and if there's no lawrence arms practice lawrence arms practice (laughs) if there's no slapstick (laughs) practice um I'm gonna go to Matt's house, or I'm gonna go hang out with with Pete or or Danny or or Dan um, or Rob. I mean, like you know, it, it didn't even matter right. who. It was just yeah, like yeah. it was just like bounce. I mean, like we were all we were all like a gang, you know, very much so. And uh, and uh, and like if you know, Chris would come out, and you know, if there's no tricky dick practice, he'd go party with Steve or party with Memo or party with. Dan or Rob, uh-huh. you know, or Matt or whoever. And uh, <clears throat> in that way, it's like it just became such a like it was such a tight squad, mm-hmm. you know, like we were like at that point, like also like our band was getting like really popular and it still was like pretty fast. Um, but like like uh, I mean, we're playing to like 700 people at the third floor, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 that, that at and at that point that was when i started to be like oh these people are here for this you know yeah and and like and like we started getting recognized and shit i i remember this <laughs> fucking story it's so funny like damn <laughs> I mean, I was such an insufferable asshole at this point. Um, I would like we just recently unearthed this interview um, of us in some van, and like <laughs> I, I just like I was talking about the band, like I was like like I was the mastermind behind it, or like I was the only person in it, or something like that. It was, and then and Danny's just like, yeah, coming out on. Deal records, you know, and you know, maybe that'll be cool. And like and the whole thing is just like you watch it, and it's like, oh my god, what a bunch of terrible children, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Dan was like, yeah, I saw this. 
you know, sitting at the diner the other night. Kids come up to me and they're like, hey, are you the guy from Slapstick? And I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, at the time, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) But now it's like, (laughs) what an absolute (laughs) dick move. (laughs) I mean... Uh, yeah, so I mean that's that's where we were at at that point, but it was. Uh, so your band's popular, all sorts of popular. You're selling out shows at the third floor. Who else is there? Who else is playing? Um, you know, you put out. I think was Crooked on Dyslexic. Bands like Apocalypse, yeah, Hoboken, Jerkwater. Yep, yep. Those bands are all are all out there, man. Um. Those are some Fox River bands, you know, um, Fox River Valley. They, Apocalypse Hoboken was definitely around. Jerkwater, which some of you probably know is the band where Matt Skiba was a drummer. I mean, that's where that's where we met all those guys and uh, became buds. You know, people are like, you, you've, you've known Matt since you were a kid? It's like, yeah, I was fucking 16. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's being a kid. You know, that's, that's a fucking long time ago. And like... There's a really vibrant scene of like pretty young bands out there. Apocalypse Hoboken was a little bit older, but then there was like, you know, Oblivion was out there. Uh I mean, they weren't out there. They were from they were from the south, but uh you know, I mean, the Smoking Popes were little they had an air of being this like very um important band. I mean, which which they are. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't don't get me yeah. wrong. Um, but like, like get fired was like 95, I think. Yeah. So this was like before that, but they were still coming up. They just carried themselves the right way and knew, like, I I don't remember them playing the third floor. Um, I remember they played at the gateway theater. I saw that was, I I saw them play at the gateway theater actually, but I don't remember if they, I'm sure they played the third floor. I'm sure they played the third floor hundreds of times, you know, but Mm -hmm. it's just not something I remember. It just doesn't jive with their style and my memory of the of the place. Um, but there, but there were some also some bands out there, um, like the Sauce Kings, who were like a funk band, and um, I believe I described them yesterday. I'm going to try my best to describe them exactly the same way today because it's right on. There's two twins that looked like uh, like 1970s tennis players or very slender barbarians uh depending on what what uh which which reference makes more sense they they are the same thing um much like the two dudes were the same thing but uh and and they and it was funny because they did like this goofy ass thing where like see this is what happens when you tell a story twice all of a sudden you feel like you need to add in details in order so because it's like it's like you've already heard this once and so Uh and so it's like you know, and you're like, you're like, and then fucking Tim was pissed drunk and he fell down the stairs and uh, the pie went right in his mom's face. And then like the <laughs> next time you tell the story, because like the guy you just told it to is standing there, it's like, and then Tim fell down the stairs. He was wearing this blue shirt and the pie went right <laughs> in his mom's face. You know, it's like, <laughs> you just got, like mm-hmm. it's such human nature to do that. It's uh, it's something that always amuses me when I am 
the person that hears the story twice. But um, here- just to make sure we're not going to have to, I'm not going to have to hear it a third time, right? What the, the thing about the pie? Yeah. No, we're good. We're <laughs> yeah. good. This is we're still, this is the final version. We're still <laughs> recording. Yeah, yeah. But so Tim <laughs> falls down the stairs. Okay. Um, blue shirt, red pants, mom's face. Um, anyway, uh, the, so um, but the guys, the Sauce Kings. It was like three guys, and I seem to recall the third guy looked kind of like, like kind of a like he could have been in Devo, like a Elvis Costello type. Dude, but that that could mm-hmm. be completely wrong because the main thing about the Sauce Kings was the two twins um, going back and forth from drums to bass, I believe. Uh, oh, geez. Yeah, I yeah, know the whole thing. Right? And, and it might surprise you, Tim, uh, that a band called the Sauce Kings, funk band. Um, uh-huh. Funk was a big part of punk back then. Give it away, give it away now. Yes, I mean, but the Chili Peppers were considered a punk band, you know, um, at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, first time I ever heard about the Red Hot Chili Peppers was uh, an article in Thrasher magazine, which uh, at the time it was particularly for punk rock, specifically skate punk. It's gone on t- to do other things. Interesting thing about the features in Thrasher uh, once you do one, you can never do it again. They they oh, will not cover a band twice. Huh. I think that's I think it's I like that, yeah. Eh, it's it's interesting. Um it also kind of keeps it simple, stupid, you know what I mean? It's like it's like mm-hmm. hey, we're a skateboarding magazine, like the music thing is yeah. Anyway, so the Sauce Kings. There was another band called um Limp Spork. Also <laughs> very very funky. Very funky. Um, but then there was also like the four squares who were, like, the quintessential Fox Valley band. I mean, like, if there was a band that, like, at first was, like, like the other Tricky Dick, kind of, it was mm-hmm. it would be the Four Squares. Like, Tricky Dick went on to become more melodic, um, vastly more melodic and, uh, and thoughtful, whereas the Four Squares sort of went on to become more hardcore and angular and and furious you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and uh Mm -hmm. and so and so those were bands that were out there and um but the the reason i bring up the funk stuff is because funk was very big then and it was part of punk rock and uh (laughs) and one time we played a show with apocalypse hoboken and they like one of the dudes did a zine um, mm-hmm. and, like a handwritten zine and he would talk about the shows and then you pass them out. We played a show. I think it was at the underground lounge in the city. Maybe that was just that on Milwaukee by Congress. No, no, that was, um, it was on Clark, um, just right under the L tracks, uh, there South of or North of Belmont. Oh, okay. Uh, um, if you did. Yeah. And, and he was like talking about slapstick because we had played a show. And he's like, "Yeah, the band Slapstick. They played some white funk, which was occasionally actually quite good." And I just saw this and was like, <laughs> "And Apocalypse Hoboken was like they'd been around for a while. They were like long standing. You know, they were like in that like scene with like Gage and like uh-huh. those kind of like cool older bands, V Reverse and stuff like that." Um, and and we were like. I personally was like, white 
funk? No, no, no. So <laughs> we played a show with Hoboken and I, I went up to him. I can't remember which dude it was at this point. It wasn't Todd and it wasn't Andy. Um, but, uh, and I was like, dude, white funk for real. Um, and he was like, and I was like, just like watch a song tonight. Like, you know, I don't care what song you watch. Just watch, like watch any one song. And then, and then he was like, came back, was like, dude, I am sorry. I called you guys a white funk band, you know, like, yeah. And he yeah. even printed a retraction in the next copy of his like handwritten zine, which is hilarious thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and from then on, we were all homies, you know, um, Hoboken and uh, Slapstick, we did, um, I'll do the, the quick version of this today. We did uh, our first international trip. Uh, they knew some people in Canada. And uh, we we drove up to Canada and it was like in one car. I, it was Matt and who was Matt with? Because he must have been with Hannaway? It must have been – that seems so crazy that those two would pair off. But maybe it was Matt and Danny. All I know is that we we were – in one. it was like Matt's GMC Jimmy packed all the way um, with mm-hmm. the gear. And then the other four of us in Peter's convertible um, – <laughs> Like Jeep, like 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 that, like like a Jeep Cherokee, like a like a, a like a Wrangler. Yeah, is that a Wrangler? The one that's I think so. You can take the doors off. Yeah, of it. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Mm-hmm. And it's the middle of winter, and we're heading into Canada. And there's four of us, and like we're just like yeah, the core of this. That's right. Well, I remember that the only reason I know for sure that Robbie was in the car was that Peter almost like swerved into like a car next to us, and he goes. Like it's like crazy, like unbelievable. Like it, like we we laugh about that shit to this day. I mean, it was it was so awesome. Uh, but he saved us. He saved our lives. Um, and uh, we get to Canada, and the first guy we stay with, um, I can't remember his name. Um, I can't remember where we were, but he was, I believe, promoter adjacent at the very least. And um, we get there, like, we'd gone all night, and the Hoboken guys were there, and they're like, crack a beer. And we're like, it's 9 a.m. They're like, okay, mother, you know. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, we're drinking beer at 9 a.m. And uh, it's probably another point where my life went off the rails at that point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, <clears throat> and then they had this this thing called bottle tokes that they did up in Canada. And I, if you're not from Canada, you take like a Pepsi bottle, you somehow break a perfect circular hole in the bottom of the Pepsi bottle. I don't know how you take like a piece of hash oil or something. I, I don't know. I mean, you can tell this, this kind of shit's really my mm-hmm. forte. Uh, and, uh, and you, you put, put it in that hole and it fills up the bottle. And then you, it's like, it's like a bong with no water essentially. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, so we did we did those, you know, drink a beer at 9 a.m., doing that. And we go to the club where we're playing. And it is the place where Ice-T had played the night before, um, which, to give you an idea of the size of the place, it was rather large. Um, and 
they were like, um, yeah, you guys will be playing with Colombian neckties. And uh, I, Colombian necktie, for those of you who don't know, is when you slit someone's throat, like under their chin, right at the, right at the, where the head meets the throat. And then you pull the tongue down through the uh, new hole, right? Um, so not that fun. But why is it Colombian necktie? Um, <laughs> I don't. I, I, I bet it has to do with drugs. Um, but I just tried. Yeah, that was that was that was, oh, was a joke. Oh, that yeah. was a good one. Uh, <laughs> just uh, <laughs> what? Okay, Tim left. Do you want I me to left. just react the same exact way I did to the story last time? Uh, um, yes, please. <laughs> Um, so I recorded that so I could just use that. Yeah. No, I mean, mm-hmm. thank God. I'll decide on which take is best. Yeah. It's, it's a good, I think that's a good call. <laughs> um, that'd be great if you just recorded, like just spliced what I say today with what you said yesterday and just like make it, have it make <laughs> no fucking sense whatsoever. So, but, uh, but so the, the, the band we played with Columbia Nectas, the, the promoter is like, yeah, they're cool. Sometimes a singer eats glass on stage, right? Which uh, is uh, not cool. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think I need to really iterate that too strongly. It's not at all cool to eat glass um, on stage. But uh, so they they come out and they're like old. You know, I mean, they're probably younger than I am now. But they all had that like fucking Nikki six like old roadie kind of punk look to him where it was just like bandanas mm-hmm. and leather vests and shit but it was still like they're punks I mean they're punks for sure and they start playing and there is I mean this place probably it's a place where ice tea played I you know two and a half thousand three and a half thousand I mean it's been a long time I can't remember the room that well well SVU was big at the time so yeah imagine it was a big room. Yeah, it was a pretty big room. Eight people, I think, were there um, at the show. And uh-huh. Columbia Neckties, like, flopping all over the stage. And me and Hannaway are sitting in the fucking balcony. And we were just like, eat glass! Eat glass! You know, just, like, screaming uh-huh. at these guys. <laughs> which um, is so fucking just rude and funny uh <laughs> that doesn't do anything to us and and you know it's like i was saying to you yesterday saying exactly what someone does to them like as an insult is an extraordinarily effective insult i mean it's like uh-huh. <laughs> it's like if i went up to you and was like or somebody came up to me and at this time was like play ska and i'd be like oh <laughs> you know like oh god damn it anyway that was that was our first i think it was the only time slapstick actually played outside the u.s maybe um but uh definitely that was like a pretty exciting thing and that was when we first got to be boys with the apocalypse hoboken guys and from then on it was like everything that was going on was like happening suddenly more and more and more at the fireside bowl um and mm-hmm. um at that point, things started to really shift. And I think it was a little bit after that where we um, opened up for Skank and Pickle at the Metro. 
yeah, which was a big a big deal um, for a lot of reasons. I mean, playing the Metro is the coolest thing. This would be the first time any of us had ever done it. Well, not Pete. Pete had been in Hoodwink and he'd played the Metro, um, but with like a, a band that was like kind of cool, and I mean a really cool band. And um, the show was packed, and Mike was so kind. Mike Park, who's the singer of Skank of Pickle was so kind to us. And then afterwards, we're like out across the street in front of Wrigleyville Dogs. And he was just like, hey, you know, I think you guys, what you do is really cool. And like, it's it's really different. And um, I'm starting, I have a record label called Dill. I put out the, um, the Skang of Pickle records, you know, and um, I, I'd love to have you guys uh, be on the record label and we were just like what what uh-huh. what like are, are you fucking kidding me like yeah like the idea that like a real record label by a guy in a real band you know would would ha- like i mean i don't know you know like i say i say this with like the same like naivete that I came into like all of this with, you know, like I, that it was like the last thing I fucking expected. But, um, I mean, maybe, maybe those dudes were like, you know, I can't imagine Matt Stamps didn't think that that was a possibility. You know, right. he was, he was a right. little, he was a little too, um, had too much acumen to, to, to not, um, at least have considered it. But I mean, and that was that was a real fucking huge turning point. I will never forget that moment standing in front of that Wrigleyville Dogs, looking back at the Metro, being like, "Holy shit, our band just got signed to a real label!" And like, not like we'll do a seven inch, like we got signed, you know? Yeah. And yeah, man, so cool. That is so fucking awesome it's such a moment and unfortunately it's a moment that we're gonna have to pause on um and we'll leave the lp and i guess the end of slapstick for next week when we conclude our three-part journey uh (laughs) the story of slapstick um i think it's really really um it's just so amazing to breathe in all of this energy of you know these people who you meet when you're so young and to see the way something happens that just finds its own momentum it hits at the exact right time and things just go from there and to see all the talent in that room and to see all the growth that comes with it and to learn a lot of the lore but also get to get also get a great look at 16 17 year old kids yeah that we all have followed since yeah man it it is it is funny it's like you know i think about like those i mean we spent almost as much time skateboarding as we did you know practicing in our band you know there's like like yeah it, it like let me tell you something, man. Steve Katzel um, was a, a big dude. The motherfucker could, like, 
effortlessly do a kickflip like every time. It was uh, that never ceased to, and, and he'd just like get on the board and kind of like fake it, and then just like bust out a perfect kickflip, and he'd be like, ah! like as soon as you were surprised about it, you know, like, <laughs> so rad. Um, but yeah, we were just kids. I mean, we were just like you know goofing around, driving our parents' cars, fucking getting stoned in the basement, whatever, you know, and yeah. And and it just so happened that like we were making music that would go on to like uh well keep a couple of us at least like locked into this goddamn prison for <laughs> the rest of our lives, you know? <laughs> um we are so excited to um be doing this and to be doing this every week and we thank you all for joining us again. Uh we invite you to rate and subscribe. Uh, leave us a review. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. And we've also got a link in the episode notes for a pre-order for Skeleton Coast, which is fucking coming up. Today is June 17th and it's coming out on July 17th. Ooh, that just gave me like a little nerves in my stomach. Well... I am so excited to see that bad boy get unleashed into the world. And I'm excited to pick this story back up next week. We will see you then. Thanks, Bubbas. Hey, thanks, everyone. Cool.